0: Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast. So excited to be with you today. Don't forget to check out the links at StaceyOnTheRight.com and FamilyVisionMedia.org for our advertiser, the Alliance for Shared Health. I'm so pleased to welcome to today's podcast, Allison Heap, who received her... Bachelor of Science in Music Education at Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina, and her MA in teaching English to speakers of other languages from Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona. Prior to joining the Department of Education Reform as a Distinguished Doctoral Fellow, she taught elementary general music in Greenville County, South Carolina for three years and interned in the Legislative Office of the American Association of Christian Schools in Washington, D.C., In 2021, she worked for the Office of Education Policy at the University of Arkansas, studying access to fine art courses in Arkansas high schools. Allison's research interests include school choice programs and family engagement, which puts her right in our wheelhouse for a discussion here on the podcast because we are so interested in other educational options for kids around the country, especially post-COVID. So can, can we first just talk about what your organization does? What does the Department of Education Reform do?
1: Sure. So, the Department of Education Reform at the University of Arkansas is a very quantitative, uh, method-heavy program. Um, We have a PhD program here that I am currently enrolled in, and I am also working for my advisor as a research assistant. So, the department uh, is developing education reformers, but also doing some education research as they do it. And so, One of the things that drew me to the program is they have a big school choice demonstration project. So lots of research coming out of our department that is touching on things like voucher programs and ESAs and ways to implement those well.
0: So what has your success rate been with with the university in seeing parents have a better understanding of how they can access education options?
1: Well, you know, I just started last week, so I am not really very familiar with our interactions with parents. Uh, I don't know that parents are necessarily reading our research. Um, I would hope they are. Um, I think our our research is more targeting um, education policymakers and people in um, think tanks and policy organizations that are looking at making suggestions on how we should do education and uh, what is working and what's not.
0: So can can we talk a little bit about how educational choice is dovetailing in with the realization that parents have made that um, teachers' unions really don't have their children's best interests at heart? It has been a very difficult year suffering through the pandemic and then trying to recover from it. And there are millions of kids in America who didn't get to go to school at all last year, or they went on, you know, a schedule where they got to go one day this week, two days that week, because they were rotating uh, the big, large high schools of 2,000 students at a time. They really had a difficult time making sure that each kid could access more than two days a week in class, because they were trying to do social distancing and trying to figure out ways to get around uh, mandates from local governments. And teachers unions weren't really excited about getting back in the classroom to begin with. So, um, how does that dovetail in with what you're doing?
1: Well, you know, teachers' unions aren't primarily concerned about children. It's just not what they're designed to do. They're designed to keep their teachers employed and negotiate what they believe to be fair working conditions. And truly, there are some places where teachers aren't treated well. And so, I understand why so many teachers do belong to unions. Uh, but you're right, the the unions have really stood in the way of returning to school, and they really don't represent, I I don't think, the vast majority of teachers who do want to be in the classroom. I can tell you, learning at home was hard, and I know the virtual teachers that I've talked to, they agree that teaching from home is very difficult. And uh, I know learning from home is very difficult for a lot of students and the parents as well, because they were trying to juggle working at home with helping their children uh, with their, their assignments and their homework. And so definitely, I think that teachers unions are representing a small minority of teachers who are extremely concerned about COVID and do want to stay at home. And school choice, would really move a lot of, family, allow families to move out of that system that is controlled very largely by the teachers' unions, and or if not controlled, very strongly influenced by the teachers' unions, because it would allow parents to vote with their feet and go elsewhere when they're unhappy, and that also allows teachers to move out of the system, too. There are not very many private sector jobs for teachers um, where they're sort of out of the clutches of the unions. And uh, so teachers' unions, even if you live in a right work state where teachers' unions don't really have the control that they do in other states, you still are strongly influenced by what they're saying, what they're advising, and uh, especially the national unions, what they're saying about what's best for education. So school choice is good for families. It's good for teachers. It's good for kids. um, And it would allow us to have more say in what's done in the public school system by leaving when we're unhappy.
0: Yeah. So the thing that you're talking about with the teachers unions, I think that is a real struggle for parents because they, they know teachers, they even have teachers in their family. Um, So they, they understand that the teachers need some way of bargaining. And in some cases, you know, especially depending on where you live in the country, depending on if you're rural or suburban, there can be, like huge swings in what teachers are paid, what their benefits are, and whether or not they feel valued. Because, you know, in, in poor school districts, teachers have a tougher job of teaching kids. And it's a tough job no matter what, because you have, you know, you're dealing with people's kids and their money. So it's not the optimal situation. It can be wonderful and beautiful, but it can also be very difficult for for teachers. So I don't think any parent is saying, you know, oh, we should pay teachers less or teachers, you know, shouldn't have a, an ability to negotiate with their employer. But these teachers unions are not just doing that. They're actually influencing policy. They're actually going against the the thing that parents want. Like parents don't want their kids taught CRT. L- these are leftist parents, people who voted for Joe Biden. They don't like CRT either. Yet you see teachers unions saying, well, not only do we not care what you want, but we're going to teach your kids CRT, whether you like it or not. That is a recent development. That's something new and, and dastardly that people don't really know how to take. Hmm.
1: Yes. And I, it really stems from the idea that And I I understand how teachers get to this, and I'll explain that in a moment, but it really stems from the idea that teachers are the experts in uh, what's best for children. And I certainly don't hold that view. I, I have no parenting experience. I'm not a parent. I do not think that I know what's best for children. In fact, in my three years of teaching experience, it was very difficult to figure out what was the best way to handle certain situations in the classroom, and a lot of times... I would defer to parents' expertise on their children. How can I help your child learn better? How can I help them um, behaviorally or emotionally? And uh, But a lot of teachers have, especially veteran teachers, have seen it all. They've seen more engaged families that are very involved in their children's lives, and they've seen the parents that maybe aren't so involved. And so there is this tendency to sort of uh, go by the, the least common denominator. And, you know, the parents that um, maybe are less involved in their children's lives or even, sadly, there's parents that neglect or abuse their children. And so these teachers tend to generalize um, and think they know what's best for their students even more than than the parents do. And I think um, what they have to remember is that we can't try to prevent Potential crimes by taking away freedom, because in a democracy, people um, are free to make choices, and so potential crimes do abound. And so, to take away parents' rights to choose how their child is educated is an unconstitutional measure, and it's not warranted by potential abuse or potential indoctrination with some, you know, ideology that a teacher disagrees with. And so, um, I think of in the Federalist Papers, I think it's number ten. James Madison says something like it, it could not be less folly to abolish liberty, which is essential to political life because it nourishes factions and it would be to wish the annihilation of air, which is essential to animal life because it imparts to fire its destructive agency. So, yes, people use freedom to make bad decisions. And that doesn't mean we should restrict freedom for everybody. That that takes decisions out of the hands of the many and puts it in the hands of the few and um That's what's happened with education, and I think a lot of parents were used to be happy to delegate their responsibilities to the public school system, but people are starting to wake up, especially because they were with their children at home so much during COVID, and they've seen our system's true colors, and not only they're seeing the lack of excellence in public schools, but also those corrupt ideas, as you mentioned, like CRT, and they're starting to say, I want to be back in the driver's seat, and so that's why we are seeing such an uptick in school choice legislation and record public support for those policies.
0: So when parents are thinking about what they can do to best get their kids education where it needs to be, to, to, um, to best fulfill their duty as a parent, I know it's very hard for parents to consider especially if they live if you live in a neighborhood where your child walks to their elementary school or their middle school or their high school and your neighbors kids are your kids friends and cohorts at school and so it's a community it's not just a school that your kids are going to if your kids no longer at the school they're no longer a part of a community how do you talk to them about the the difficult choice of having to pull their kids from school because the school has said we're doing CRT whether you like it or not
1: well, you're, you're right, absolutely right, that it is very difficult, especially when a school feels like it's the center of a community, and um, I, as a, a Christian, I feel like my community is in my church, and so that's not something that I relate to as well, that a public school is sort of my, my meeting place for my support system, and for a lot of kids, that is what the public school is. It's, in a sense, like their church. And It's where they go to be um, emotionally fed and to be socialized and even sometimes to be physically fed. And so sometimes, you know, those public schools are sort of the bedrock of the community. And in some, especially rural places, they're really one of the biggest employers. A lot of those children, their parents are employed by the school. And so to remove children from that system might feel like you're taking the support out from underneath your community but i think something that we have to remember is that when we remove children from the public school system it's not that suddenly all of those jobs are deleted and those desks are deleted and you know it's it's not a diminishing it's a moving and so those jobs those seats those children sit in those teachers the everything moves into the private sector whether that be a private school or a pod or, um, you know, maybe a homeschool co-op or something like that. There's opportunities for those things to shift in just to a different place. And so those families can still have that community. And, you know, if that community center is what parents are looking for, then those private schools are going to adapt to what those parents need because they're going to be competing then with the public school for those students. And so I think parents have to put the ideologies that their children are learning in school over their perception of the school as sort of this community center because there's really, and I think a, a lot of people have sort of thought, well, you know, there's this neutral part of education, and then maybe, you know, math class might be the neutral part of education, or PE class might be the neutral, or music class. I was a music teacher. Uh, and, you know, w- but when they go to social studies, they learn CRT. And so maybe I have to then have them come home and I do their social studies homework with them. And I sort of undo all of the indoctrination that happened at school that day. But there's really nothing, such no no values in neutral education. There's no such thing. Every subject is taught from a perspective. And so it's just so pervasive in some places that I think uh, parents have to just really bite the bullet and take that leap of faith, knowing that things will shift around and they are going to find that community somewhere else.
0: So I want to make a really, it's a, I want to make a strong emphasis on something that you said that I think kind of cracks open the resistance. You said, Allison, that people, if you're, if they view their school, the way that I described, you know, you're living in a subdivision, you're Your kid's school is where you spend all the time. You go to the kids' plays. They're doing their sports there. You're spending more time at the school than you're spending at church, certainly. But for people who are unchurched or maybe they're marginally churched, they really do view the school in the way that we used to view the church. The church used to be our source of community. We met our friends there. We had our baby showers there. You got married there. You met your best friend there. Some people met their spouse there. Um, Their kids' friends were there. That is no longer the case. And so that's why we see such a real resistance to people leaving public schools because they kind of feel like, well, if I leave the public school, who will we be friends with? Who will our children play sports with? Who will our children practice their music with? You know, Who will they be in orchestra with? Everything they're doing is located at these schools. We have to change that. We have to reorient people's focus back to the church and the word of God. People who understand God's word know that the community that you find in a community of believers is the strongest one you're going to be a part of, and it's going to feed not just the, you know, the, the calendar, but your soul is going to be fed there. The, the need that you have to be in a community is completely fulfilled in the church home if you make that the, the highest priority as opposed to the school. What a competition is going on right now uh, in the minds of parents to try to figure out what to do. I, I really think they need an understanding of that.
1: Yes. And something that I've noticed in my time in the public school system where, you know, I really can't say anything about my face, there's this big movement of, they call it socio-emotional learning. And I'm sure you've probably heard that before and probably most of your listeners have, too, because it's becoming very pervasive, in especially in the early grades of education. It's sort of this nebulous term that has to do with emotional regulation. And I think learning has always had this, you know, non-academic component. You learn life lessons through academic content, through the hard work of committing that content, understanding and memory. And as a Christian, I see that as, you know, everything that I learn in school is supposed to point me back to the Lord and back to my faith in Him because it's His world and He created it. And whether or not someone does believe in God, you know, it may be just sort of the secular character education that's a component of this academic education that has been historically there. You know, we're learning grit, we're learning uh, the value of hard work. And so as education became more and more secular, and that was sort of divorced from the academic component. And so now people are trying to add that socio-emotional learning back in because they're realizing that children are coming out of the K-12 education system, missing that vital character building piece. And so I think the socio-emotional learning component is sterile at best. But if I'm being honest, I think a lot of the movement is really harmful. I was never really given a definition as a teacher of what it was supposed to be conceptually or what it would look like in practice. It was kind of whatever I wanted it to be. But, you know, some of the activities that were suggested to me was let's do some mindful breathing or let's do yoga with the students to help them regulate their emotions and in my mind I was thinking you know when my one of my students is having difficulty getting along with another student, the important thing for them in my mind to know is that other person is made in God's image and you should love them because God loves them and instead it I had to come up with sort of this um, roundabout answer of well, you know, you'll be happier if you don't have conflict in your life. So let's figure out some conflict resolution strategies that we can use. And so it the, the church has so many vital functions in society that now that, as you said, so many people are unchurched, church, the public school is having to take on more and more of those functions. And it's not very good at doing a lot of them.
0: Yeah, because anything to avoid just telling a child, you can't treat people that way because you don't want to be treated that way. And what you reap is what you sow. So if you sow into division and strife and, and anger and mean behavior, you will reap that back. But if you sow into kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, you know, peace, self-control, the fruits of the spirit, you are going to then reap those back from people. You know, God forbid we teach kids that. <laughs> mm-hmm well, I think uh that's a huge a huge barrier that we've kind of once you once you can kind of take the layers off and remove the shroud from a barrier and you can look at it and see, okay, you know I'm plugged into this school in a way that I should probably be plugged into church and you can make that shift then it becomes absolutely untenable to give your children to, uh, you know, public schools that are going to indoctrinate them to hate God and hate America and eventually hate you as their parent. It has been such a pleasure to chat with you, Allison Heap. You are the distinguished doctoral fellow at the department of education reform at the university of Arkansas. It has been such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you for having me, Stacy.
0: Great to talk to you. All right. One more thing I want to tell you about is our fantastic sponsor the Alliance for Shared Health. They are just absolutely the best people to consult with if you are considering making a change with your health insurance. You can head over to StaceyOnTheRight.com, click the banner ad for the Alliance for Shared Health, and sign up for health sharing. ASH is a health share ministry with, with over 40,000 households participating, and as a member, you share in the financial burden of health care expenses, including needs sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental, and vision. You can access the virtual care provider at zero cost, pick up your prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, and order lab and imaging tests at discounts of up to 80%. Open enrollment is now, so reach out to Ash today. Head over to Stacyonthewright.com, click the banner ad, and sign up now. That's Stacyonthewright.com. Click the banner ad and start sharing and saving today. Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare, and changing lives. So glad to have you with us. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com and FamilyVisionMedia.org. God bless. See you next time.